So I've got an interesting question for you today. And, uh, and again, if this has happened to you, I don't want to bring up bad memories, but it goes along with the sermon. Um, probably there's a few of y'all in here who have been robbed before. Anybody been robbed before? Okay. It's not, it's not a fun thing. I'll tell you about a, at least two of mine. <clears throat> they all involved uh, my car, um, one of my vehicles. Uh, one, I was going into... Uh, the gym I was a member of, and so I thought, I don't want to carry my wallet in there because my wallet may not be safe in the gym. <laughs> so I'm just going to leave it in my car. So I come out of the gym, and my window's been smashed, and they stole my wallet um, and uh, went next door to Best Buy and went on a shopping spree. So that was one of them. Um, another one, I was, uh, I was uh, pulled into a Wendy's for lunch and had some lawn uh, equipment in the back of my truck, unsecured, not locked down or anything. And um, as I'm eating lunch, um, I couldn't see my truck from where I was sitting. And it kind of bothered me a little bit, but I didn't really worry about it. I came out and everything was gone in the back of my truck. Um, so these things happen. But when it does happen to you, when you've been robbed, that's never a good feeling, isn't it? Why does somebody think it was okay to take stuff that was mine and make it theirs? You know, I work for that. That's my stuff. And why would they do that? It's just, it's just a bad feeling, isn't it? It feels really bad. But let me ask on the other side of that coin, have you ever robbed somebody? Now, nobody's going to raise their hand on that one this morning, obviously. But maybe unintentionally didn't realize that you were taking something that really wasn't yours, that somebody else was providing, but you were just taking it and you didn't really realize it. And maybe it has been a blind spot uh, to that. Or maybe somebody else was paying for something and providing it and you just kept taking it and didn't think anything of it. And we have these conversations with our kids sometimes when they actually have to get out of the house and start providing for themselves. They, you know, they realize, oh, wow, that was being provided all those years. But I know this subject matter may seem weird and it has the potential for some people that have been robbed to be like, oh, that brings up a bad memory. But that's not my intention to bring up a bad memory, but it's to, to think about that word rob because in our passage today, in our text today, God is using that word rob through the prophet Malachi to describe what the Israelites were doing to him. At least that's what he felt like, and he uses that specific word. And when you think about that, you go, rob God? How would you even rob God? I mean, God is all-knowing, right? God is all-powerful. He is ever-present. How is it even possible to rob God? Is that even possible? But God said, you are robbing me. That's what he says we're going to read in our text today. And so they naturally are defensive and go, what do you mean? How are we robbing you, God? And so God will explain it. But before we read the text, I want to give you a little background on Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. It's not Malachi, it's Malachi. <laughs> and it's the last one in the Old Testament. And chronologically, it probably was one of the last letters or books that was written before this period of silence of 400 to 450 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so just a little bit background on this. The Jewish nation had been under a long time of exile because, as we know, in the Old Testament, a lot of times they broke their covenant with God and God would send prophets and prophets would say, you need to remember that we have this covenant and I'm being faithful to you, but you're not being faithful to me. And all your neighbors, gods, y'all are worshiping those and you're not being faithful to the covenant. And I'm going to allow one of your enemies to destroy you. And a lot of times the Israelites thought, nah, we're God's people. It'll never happen to us. But we do know in 586 BC, the Babylonians came in and absolutely destroyed Jerusalem 
It was an awful, awful day for them. And not only did they destroy Jerusalem, but they destroyed God's temple, which nobody thought would ever happen. And then not only did they destroy the whole city, and a lot of people were killed, but whoever was left, they carted them off some 750 miles away to Babylon into captivity for many, many years. And we know that after this time, even through the prophecies, God said this was going to happen. They didn't believe Him, and it did happen. But after about 70 to 100 years, there was a new... uh, ruler and power. Um, The Babylonians have been taken over by the Persians and the new Persian king says, you know what, I'm going to let you Jews go back and rebuild your home into Jerusalem. So they started slowly going back and even under extreme opposition because when their enemies, even a hundred years later, 70 years later, saw the Jews coming back to Jerusalem like, oh no, they're going to be in power again and they weren't happy and they opposed them. But the Jews did rebuild their temple. We read a lot about that in the book of Ezra. We read about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem in Nehemiah. That's a great book to read as well. But for the nation as a whole, even though they started to rebuild Jerusalem, their sacred city, it wasn't the same. It wasn't like the golden age of King David. It wasn't like the golden age of Solomon when they were the world power and everybody thought Jerusalem and Israel, they thought, wow, when they said it, they thought about power and territory It was very, very different. And they expected, many of them, when they rebuilt the temple, and it was nothing like Solomon's temple, but they thought that God would supernaturally fill the temple and restore Israel to their former glory of this nation at the center of the world. But it just didn't happen. They had heard about it from their grandfather and grandmothers and great-grandparents about how great Israel was, and one day God would restore them. But a lot of these people that went back, they had only known being in the captivity. And so when they rebuilt, they go, this is nice, but it's not what it's supposed to be. It's weird. For the nation as a whole, it just wasn't the same. They wanted it to be different. And they had been in exile for a reason. Their disobedience to God and their continued pursuit of these gods, these pagan gods of their neighbors, they had been doing this for many, many years. And they had been set apart to be God's people, not just to have God's protection, but to be a reflection to the rest of the world of who God was and what his character was, and they had not done that. They had been given capable leaders. They had been given priests. They had been given all these people, but ultimately, even through the prophets that came and told them they needed to get back to that covenant, they broke the covenant with God. And a covenant with God is like, like a marriage. There's things that you do, not because you have to, but because you love each other and you've made this covenant. And ultimately, they had to face the consequences. So this time of exile was supposed to be a time of reflection, of repentance, and going, why are we in this situation? Why are we here? Why have we been in Babylon? And why are we coming back finally after all those years? It was an opportunity to think about it. And they did. And they did rebuild, but it wasn't the same. Like, for instance, have you ever got to go back to a house you used to live in? That's kind of a fun thing to do, isn't it? And maybe you take your kids and you go, hey, that's where I used to live. And then you take them, oh, that's the school I used to go to. And that's the whatever, you know, all in this town. But sometimes when you go back, it's uh, maybe a, a fun stroll down memory lane as your kids roll your eyes at you, right? Like, well, whatever. But then sometimes you see your old house and you go, what did they do? They've ruined my old house. They haven't taken care of it. It's fallen into disrepair. They've let it grow up or they changed the paint color. That wasn't the way it was. And we don't like seeing something 
that was precious and, and, and you know, special to us not be that way anymore. And that's the way Israel felt. Yeah, it's okay, but it's just not the same. And so this is what it was like for Israel. And the people became complacent and lost hope. I know God's going to restore us. And yeah, he let us come out of captivity. And yeah, he let us go back to Jerusalem. And yes, we've rebuilt the temple and we've rebuilt the walls. And we're living here, but it's just not the same. It's not what we thought it would be. And so they became complacent. They became complacent in their everyday life, but especially in their worship. The way they worshiped, they were just going through the motions. And Malachi had to come and encourage them in his book. And his book is a series of seven questions in which he asked these questions. And the people, when he asked a question, go like the one we're going to talk about today about robbing. What do you mean we're robbing you? But he was even talking to them about the way they did worship. They were still had the animal sacrifice and they were supposed to bring the best animals to sacrifice, but they weren't. And God knew it. They were bringing diseased animals. They were bringing lame animals that weren't the best to worship. And God was going, what are you doing? It's not so much about keeping all the mosaic regulations, but this is a marriage. This is a covenant between us. And you're not keeping your end of it. You're just going through the motions, and it doesn't mean anything to you. And God felt that. And he wanted relationship with, with Israel. So he sent Malachi to, to, to say, listen, you've become complacent, and you need to have some encouragement. You need to understand what you're doing and get back in that relationship with God. So we're going to look at our text today, and it's Malachi 3, and we're going to start in verse 6. That's going to be up there. Thank you. And listen to what God says through Malachi the prophet. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. You have turned away, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So you can see in this text, Israel has been robbing God in their worship. They had a temple, they had worship services, they were going to the worship services, but there was, they were making these sacrifices, but they weren't the best sacrifices. They were not their best. They were singing, but it was without enthusiasm. They were giving their offerings, but it wasn't the full offering. It was just a part of it. And God could see it and feel it. And they were bringing not their best to worship, but just going through the motions. Now, how many of y'all in the first service, people really identify with this? I don't know how many of y'all, but as I was growing up, I was told when you go to church, you're supposed to wear your best. Y'all remember that? And so now we're a lot more casual in our dress. And don't anybody get upset. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying there's been a lot of people in the first service who are still angry at me because I don't wear a tie. And I say, well, Jesus never wore a tie, so I'm in good company. I always feel good about that, you know. Um, but there are things that we think about when we worship. We should bring our best. We should do our best. But sometimes we think, well, it's just the church. They're good people. They'll, let, they'll cut me some slack on that. And sometimes we take advantage of that. A few years ago, y'all remember the old... Radio commentator Paul Harvey, remember the rest of the story? He would tell those stories. Well, he talked about a lady who around Thanksgiving time 
Um, Butterball Turkey, a lot of y'all know who the Butterball Turkey. During Thanksgiving, they have this hotline, so you can call, and you can call in and say, hey, I have some questions about how to cook my turkey and all that kind of things. Well, this lady calls in and says, hey, I have this turkey that's been in my freezer for 23 years. <laughs> 23 years. And so she's calling Butterball to say, hey, do you think this is okay to eat after 23 years? And the lady kind of goes, well, I guess if it really was frozen the whole 23 years, it's probably safe to eat, but I'm not really sure it's going to taste very good after 23 years of being frozen. So the caller replied, that's what I thought. So we'll give the, chur- give the turkey to the church. And that's what I'm talking about. Now, over the years, and I might get in trouble with this, but there's been a few things that people give to the church over the years. And this was a long time ago, but I remember being a youth minister, and there would be people. Y'all remember those first big screen TVs that had, like, the, the, the mirror in them, and they had the three different colors? Some of y'all are nodding your head. Thank you, because it's always bad when no one's nodding their head. Um, and they were huge and bulky. And so those came out, like, in the 90s. But I remember in, in like, 20 or 30 years later, people started donating those to the church. Like, hey, we're going to give the big screen TV, and you're get all excited and then you see that and you're like oh you just didn't want that anymore and it wasn't a good picture and it wasn't that great but sometimes that's how we react it's like oh it's the church it's not a big deal but no God's saying no it does matter your worship matters everything you do because we're in relationship and they weren't honoring God by robbing God and nor was it helping their relationship with each other nor was it helping their relationship with God because they weren't giving all of their tithe they weren't giving all of their offering to God. So in our text today, God is specifically addressing them on that, tithes and offering. And God clearly says they're robbing him, and they, it's a blind spot for them. What do you mean? How are we robbing you? And God spells it out. You're not bringing the whole tithe. Like maybe the tithe is supposed to be 10%. You're only bringing like 5%. You're not bringing all of it. And God says they are under a curse because of their behavior in robbing God of tithes and offerings. And God does something very unusual that he does that's very unusual in Scripture. He says, I want you to test me. You can test me in this. I'm giving you permission to test me in this. You know, like, We don't test God. We don't put him to the test. But no, he goes, I'm giving you permission to test me in this. And he says, bring the whole tithes. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, please don't hear me misrepresenting this passage as some kind of health and wealth gospel. You know what I mean by that? Well, if you'll just do all the right things, God will always bless you. Because some of you sitting here today have been faithful tithers. You have been righteous in that. And guess what? Bad things still happen, don't they? It doesn't mean nothing ever bad will happen. But he's saying, as a nation, y'all have just gotten away from that. And it's not sincere. You're not doing what you're supposed to. But it's a relational thing. It's not so much about checking the boxes. It's about understanding why, I, why does God need our offerings? Because he needs the money? No, because it does something for us to give to others, doesn't it? When we give something of ours that helps somebody else, it does something inside of us. It makes us understand the character of God. And the character of God is a giving God. And God wanted to bless them. He wanted them to experience this different life and having this joy when they give. But they weren't working on the relationship. They weren't doing their investment in this relationship with Him. So He says, change your behavior and your actions. I want to see change. 
Go ahead and see what I'll do if you will be generous and faithful in bringing all of your tithes and your offerings. And again, God doesn't need it. He doesn't need our money now or offerings. But he wants to see the need and willingness in our hearts to want to give and see the incredible things that he can do when we are generous. And I would imagine that everybody in here, when you've taken something of yours and given it to somebody else and you see how that changes their life, it does something to you, doesn't it? You go, man, that felt good. And that wasn't that valuable what I did, but look what it did for somebody else. And God says, that's exactly what I'm talking about. How can we help people? How can we encourage people? How can we change their lives through my generosity because our gifts and our offerings? And God says, because it blesses you. I'm not trying to make you, again, just check the boxes. I'm trying to get you to see what it can really do in your life. So what can we learn from this text today? Do maybe we have a blind spot about robbing God in our worship? Maybe we have a blind spot about robbing God in our giving and our tithing. Now, some of you may say today, oh, hold on a second, Craig. Tithing and, and that kind of stuff, that was Old Testament. That was the Old Covenant, remember? That was to the Jewish people, and that was Old Covenant stuff. And then Jesus came, and he brought in a New Testament, a New Covenant, right? It's now in Christ, and the old Mosaic law, we're not, we don't have to do that anymore. Isn't that right? Well, yes and no. Yeah, we, we aren't bound by the Old Testament Mosaic law, but when you really read the New Testament, we see that we aren't just supposed to be cheerful givers. But the New Testament, the New Covenant in Jesus Christ is better than the Old. But make no mistake, it's very clear in the New Testament of the principle and action of giving and being generous. It may not be the exact thing that they did, like all these festivals and tithes, because really when you look at the Old Testament, and I'm not going to get into that today, but there was really like 30% they were supposed to give on a regular basis. And you're like, okay, that's enough. I'll, I'll go to the New Testament. But that's the way it was. But still, the principle of giving is clear in the New Testament. And we can develop a blind spot of robbing God when we believe our money and our possessions that we work for is ours and ours alone. And we miss that God has given us everything and He's blessed us to be a blessing to others. He really has. And God is the provider and we are simply the managers of what He's given to us. And God does expect us to be consistently generous with what we have because it's not ours anyway is it have you ever got upset with somebody because i get most upset with my kids when they're stingy with something that's not theirs do y'all know what i'm talking about it's like what are you why it's not even yours why do you not want your sister to have it why do you not want your brother to have it and i think that's the way god feels sometimes when we're going i'm not giving money to that person they're probably what's not yours and it's not in doing and being generous, we are reflecting his character of giving and generosity that brings a joy to our lives and to others and to God. And he wants us all to experience that. And the subject of money, Jesus spoke about that almost more than anything else except the kingdom of God. Why did Jesus speak so much about money and wealth? Because he knew that the power of money and wealth can have over us as humans. Listen to what he says in Matthew 6. And this is from the Sermon on the Mount. Starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there 
your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's the same principle in the old and the new. Jesus knew this because Jesus was at the beginning, remember? Jesus has watched humans go through this in every generation. They try to serve both God and money. He says, you can't do it. And Jesus knew that money and wealth could be this barrier to following him faithfully. And that's why Jesus, when the rich young ruler came to him and thought, I have arrived. I have made it on earth. I'm rich. I'm young. I'm a ruler. I've done, and he says, uh, I want to have eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And Jesus saw right through what he was saying. He goes, he says, well, you, you know, you have to do the commandments. He says, well, I've done all that. I've obeyed all the commandments. And Jesus says, well, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and then come follow him. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. And what did the rich young man do? He walked away from Jesus, didn't he? He couldn't do it because Jesus knew that's where his heart was, was with his treasure. And he couldn't let that go. He wanted to be a part of Jesus, but he really wasn't willing to give up because his heart was with all his earthly treasure and he couldn't let that go. So he walked away from Jesus. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to young Timothy, who was a young preacher and pastor, and he tells him this along the same lines. He says in 1 Timothy 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Try preaching that message today. Just food and clothing, and you'll be content. Can you imagine telling that to your kids? What? No phone, no car, what are we going to do? But if we, but he goes, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the, listen carefully, this gets misquoted a lot. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, Paul's not telling Timothy this because we're checking boxes and we're trying to keep the letter of the law. No, he's saying, I've seen this in our culture, in our lives. In that first century, it was a problem. And now in our 21st century, those same things can be a problem. He's warning Timothy of these things. When we aspire to get rich, we can certainly fall into temptations and traps that can lead us into foolish and harmful desires that Paul says can plunge us into ruin and destruction. And we've seen people do this. How many times do you go down this rabbit trail on your phone or computer where this guy goes, hey, let me tell you about this. And now y'all know you've done it. I'm not judging anybody because I have too. And this guy's driving a fancy car and you, he tells you how easy it is to get rich like him. And then after you've been on there 15 minutes, he still hasn't told you anything, right? He just walked you around his mansion and you finally get mad and just cut it off. But you know it's a gimmick. It's not that easy, you know? But that's what we fall for. And Paul said... Be careful, Timothy. Teach your people not to get into those traps. And the whole of God's word is consistent in teaching the truth about how we should view money and possessions. Money and possessions are not bad, but it's how we view them and what we do with them. It's clear that we should, as part of our worship, give consistently and generously. Did you hear what I said? It's a part of our worship. 
Now, we used to pass the trays, and, you know, that during worship, you know, you're like, oh, man, i got to do something because, you know, you ever felt that oh, somebody's watching me, I ought to put something in there. And now it's a little bit off the, oh, we just do it online. Oh, I'll give online, or i put it in the box, and no one really knows. But it's still a part of your worship, isn't it? I remember growing up, and every Sunday morning at our breakfast table, I would watch my dad write out a check every single Sunday morning. He never said a word to me about why he was doing that. But I finally figured it out. I saw this box of envelopes on his dresser that was from the church. And my dad set that example for me my whole life. And I finally realized he works hard all week. And he's writing out a check every week to give to the church. And I, you know, at first as a little kid, you don't know where the money goes. I used to think they put all those offering plates up somewhere in the highest part of the church. And it would float up to God. I know that's stupid, but that's what I thought. But as I got older, I realized that, no, that money paid the preachers. It kept the lights on, but it also funded people like Martha Wade, like Woodland Christian Camp, like River Life, or whatever it is, all these different things. The church was funding that because of these offerings, and I realized my dad is a part of that. He's given part of his money, and so is everybody else in the church, and we're able to do those things all over the world in God's kingdom because people are giving on a regular basis. So what would God say to you and to me about our giving today? Would he say that we're robbing him? I wouldn't want to hear that. I'd be defensive like the Israelites. What do you mean I'm robbing you? And then God would probably do something that would go, oh, you're right. But if he did, I believe he would also say, Craig, I don't, I'm not saying it to make you feel guilty. I'm doing it because we have a relationship and I want you to experience the joy of what giving can do to you. I want you to test me. I think God invites us to test him today to see what God will do in your life if you consistently bring him a portion of your earned income as part of your worship. Now, you may think, and I say this every time I talk about giving, you may think that I'm trying to, oh, I see that y'all are a little bit low on the budget right now because it's summertime. So you're having to do one of those sermons about giving so you can boost everything up. And maybe your, you know, maybe your salary will go up. Well, let me just tell you, if, if you've been around here for any length of time. We voted on a budget in January, right? And that budget stays the same all the way. My salary's not going to go up. When we get more money, if we go over budget in this church, if you've been here for any length of time, you know where most of the time that money goes? To our missionaries. We give that to our missionaries. God blessed us, so we're going to be a blessing to you. So I say that to say you may be skeptical, and you, you may know that because you've been here, but you may be new today and go, I still am leery of preachers because, you know, they have a slush fund or they you know they need a private jet or something like that you know but that's okay so what i say and i will always say this if you're not trusting of me or this church that's okay but i'm not the one asking you to test me god is so find an organization somewhere that you do believe in that you do trust that you believe god is really working in and changing lives and i challenge you to give to that organization on a consistent regular basis and see what god does in your heart doing that pick any of them and God's principle still works whether you do it here or there I promise you God will do something in your heart and your life and lots of y'all have stories about being the you tried that test and it's worked I can I can tell you and I know a lot of y'all in here in the first service too you've been in a situation where your life where you go if I give this month I'm not so sure I'm going to be able to pay this bill anybody ever been there and I've done it anyway, and somehow God worked it out, and I have no explanation for that except for God. And a lot of y'all have stories like that. 
that God is just, he says, I'm telling you, test me in this. And it's not a health and wealth thing. It's not like, well, if I give $100, then God's going to make $100 worth of good stuff happen to me. No, it's getting to understand that I, that God is using us, using my resources that he gave me to see what I'll do with them. And I can think of no better place, though, than this church. Because y'all know, not only we take care of things here in this building, but in Noonan. We give to a lot of organizations, and we give to a lot of organizations all over the world. And we see that money going out. And a lot of y'all said, we like this church because that's what y'all do. You don't just keep it to yourself. You go out, and we like that. We want the money that we invest, that we offer, that we give. We want to see that money going out and in being invested in the kingdom of God. And that's what we try to do here. But again, if you're skeptical, start somewhere. Start and test God. So one time a preacher, country preacher, went to visit one of his... Uh, members, and he was a farmer, and he says, if you had $200, would you give $100 to the Lord? And the farmer said, you know I would, preacher. If you had two cows, would you give one to the Lord? You know I would, preacher. If you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord? And the farmer replied, that's not fair. You know I have two pigs. See, sometimes it gets real, doesn't it? Because I say, hey, God, if you would just let me win the lottery, I would give you so much of that money. Is that true? I don't know. And maybe if we will be faithful in little things, God says, I will give you more to see what you'll be faithful with in bigger things. But I want to challenge some of you young people here today. I grew up being taught that, watching my dad write a check. This church that I grew up in taught me about giving. But some of y'all have not been taught that. It's not your fault. I'm not blaming anybody, but it is a biblical principle that you need to know. So I want to challenge you young people. If you're in your first job, I don't care if you're making, you know, pizzas, if you're working at McDonald's, when you get your paycheck, if it's $50, give a portion of that somewhere. Give it to your church. Give it to this church. Give it somewhere. But watch that principle and see what God does. Get in the habit of that. When I first started cutting grass and 12 years old, my parents challenged me to give some of that back. When I made my first $10, I was like, i got to give a dollar? That seemed like a lot of money. A dollar, now I've only got $9 left. And I, have to, and I have to give it to God. That's how it felt at first. But as I started doing it more and more, I realized, wait a minute, I'm a part of doing something. My dollar adds up with other people's dollars, and we can do something amazing with that and that principle. So I want to encourage you young people to do that right now. There's no better principle you can follow in your financial future and in your relationship with God than to get in the habit of being a consistent giver. Ask an older person, ask a wiser person, ask a wiser, older Jesus follower you know how that principle has happened in their life. And I bet you they will confirm that and have all kinds of stories to go along with that. So I want to encourage you to do that. Now, I'm not just saying it to young people, I'm saying it to everybody. But especially young people, that sometimes isn't taught, and I think it needs, needs to be for sure. And I'm trying to, I struggle with that with my own kids. I'm trying to tell them to do that. And I'm also trying to tell them to invest in retirement young, right? Right, start it now. And I, oh, I have plenty of time for that. I said that same thing to people. But God wants to do something now and getting us to say again, not just checking the box, but we're saying this is a part of my worship and it's part of God's kingdom. And I have a part of being a part of God's kingdom by giving something. So I'm going to close with this illustration. And I've used it before, but it's my favorite illustration about giving. So there was this little town in this um, country. 
And they were known for their grapes and their making wine. They made the best wine in the region. And this new king came to the throne. And this new king was going to come and visit this village. And as far as they knew, in the history of this country, the king had never come to this little village. And he was going to visit them. And they were just like, wow, the king's finally going to come and see us in person. What are we going to do for him? What gift can we possibly give the king? We're just this little town. Well, we're known for our wine. So they came up with the ideas. We're going to put this big wooden... Um, you know, uh, barrel in the middle of the town square, and everybody's going to take your best bottle of wine, and you're going to pour it in there. Everybody's going to do it. And when the king comes, it'll be this amazing mixture of everybody's wine, and we'll give him a chalice of it, and he'll taste it, and he can take the barrel home with him as a reminder of, of how much we appreciate him. Because it was, oh, that's a great idea. Let's do it. So during the week, people were coming. You could see, you know, bottles being poured into this big vat. And then finally, they rolled out the red carpet, and the king came, and they got the chalice out, and they poured him a glass of wine, and he tasted it, and he dropped the chalice from his mouth, and he had this disappointed look on his face, and he says, it's water. It's nothing but water. You see what happened? Everybody thought, I'll just pour in water, and no one will ever know, because everybody else is given wine. But everybody decided to pour in water, and the king was dishonored. We don't want to dishonor our king, do we? We don't want to dishonor the kingdom that our God has set up and given us a part. We are supposed to reflect the character of God. And God has called us to reflect his character in our giving. So I want to challenge you on that today. We're also going to offer an invitation this morning, as we always do, that there may be somebody here today that needs to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we want to offer that invitation to you. And, and, and Jesus wants us to follow him in every aspect of our life. But when we first come to him, we don't have all that figured out, do we? I'm still figuring it out, aren't you? But he asks us to initially come, and he will work through all those different things we need to do. But if you need to make that decision today, we'll try to walk you through that. Um, if you're looking for a church home, we're certainly not perfect. We have our flaws, but we believe in generosity. We believe in giving, and that's the kind of church that we are, that we've practiced throughout our history, and we'll continue to. If you're looking for a church home like that, we'd like to offer that invitation as well. But right now, what we're going to do as the, the praise team comes and leads us is we're going to sing. They're going to sing for us, lead us in a song to prepare our hearts for communion. And if you're visiting with us today, we take communion every week. If you're... Uh, first timer here, we invite you to be a part of that. If you're a believer, you certainly don't have to be a member of our church to take communion, but some of our folks are going to line up uh, uh, and, and serve us uh, communion. They'll come by and you can take the piece of bread, you can take the cup and hold it, or you can take it and drink it and put it back in the tray, whatever you're comfortable with. There's some little things in the back of the chair you can set them in, but we invite you to be a part of that as we take communion together. But we're going to prepare our hearts for that right now. So I'm going to ask you all to stand, and Bonnie and the team is going to lead us, and let's prepare our hearts to take communion together. <clears throat>